You're listening to Thinkers What Works podcast. I'm your host, Jason Todd, with my co-host, Alex Gary, and today, Michael Norton, an itinerant startup facilitator, coach, and business consultant, our new friend from California. Welcome to the What Works podcast. Hi, Jason. It's great to be here. So this is Startup Weekend 2018 here at Thinker Ventures uh, at the beginning of September. What brings you to Startup Weekend in Rockford? Besides the fact that we bought a plane ticket. Right. United. <laughs> and Megabus. Well, so I said what, but not whom. Okay, so what, Startup Weekend, your involvement in this, and why are you in Rockford? Well, I, I have fallen in love with Startup Weekend, and I'm a little bit addicted. Mm-hmm. I've been doing Startup Weekend for four years now. Uh, I initially worked for the organization that was overseeing it at the time, Up Global, now part of Techstars, and uh, got to work on the programming and in the process fell in love with the work that we were doing throughout the world, started facilitating events, um, and have to date done nearly 50 of them throughout North America. So you're addicted to this process of Startup Weekend. You worked originally for the organization that, that, that kind of created the Startup Weekend concept. And in our discussions, you kind of refined the process through which a Startup Weekend uh, is implemented. And now you are on to number 50 all across the U.S. and internationally or, or tell Canada? us. I haven't gone outside of Canada in North okay. America. So, you know, Startup Weekend, in order to be accessible to as many people as possible, it's a very lean. The budget is very small. Yeah. And um, sometimes people travel internationally, but mm-hmm. most often facilitators will stay somewhat local. So mm-hmm. I've gotten to go, you know, all the way down to Florida, up to Toronto up to Vancouver, down to San Diego, but that's my region. So for our listeners who are not familiar with Startup Weekend, give us a recap. What is Startup Weekend and why should they continue listening to this podcast? Startup Weekend on on the surface is a two and a half day event in which we build a business from scratch. Uh, We pitch our ideas to each other on Friday night. The community then votes on those ideas. And as a group, we decide which things we're going to build in one weekend. And over the next 48 hours, we build them rapidly from scratch. It's very hands-on. We've got coaches that come in and work with the teams. We feed you seven meals. Uh, You're basically trapped here working like a startup. You get a taste of startup life. Under the hood, though, what we're really struggling through is deep entrepreneurial issues like overcoming your confirmation bias. You know, as soon as you have an idea, you're already mired in it. You think it's great. Ironically, you're simultaneously deathly afraid of telling anyone about it or doing anything. Sure. So we get you into action um, very quickly and teach you to test your ideas in a way that will help you understand, you know, how to go about it, whether it's a good idea before you've poured a lot of resources into it. That's probably the hardest part of Startup Weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. It culminates in a live event on Sunday night that is very much like Shark Tank. Every group is presenting five minutes in front of a panel of judges, and then they grill you with questions. It's very exciting. The whole weekend's full of energy. I, I love it. I'm, I'm, I can't say enough good things about it. What is the, what is the element or elements of Startup Weekend? That, what are the elements that drive you back to that, like that, that energy in Startup Weekend? I've discovered so many good people in every city have come to expect it. And maybe I'm a little biased when I drop into a city like Rockford, you know, you guys have collected some of the most interesting, intriguing, creative, intelligent people in the city together. And so that's who I get to meet. So thank you for that. Um, I come in expecting people that genuinely want to solve real problems creatively and 
there are very few things more thrilling than that. And so I just, I, I keep putting myself in that and, and I come away from the weekend inspired to pursue my own ideas. And, you know, I always meet a couple of new best friends that I anticipate knowing for the rest of my life. Like, there's nothing better than that. That's awesome. You were talking about, uh, since you've been able to do it all over um, the U.S. and in Canada, that you've been able to uh, detect patterns. Are they regional patterns, or are they big city versus small city? You know, talk about uh, the patterns you kind of detect when dealing with people in startups. Yeah, that kind of snuck up on me. I didn't expect that going into it. I was going into these for some other reasons, and now the things that I'm talking about now, they, they surprised me, and, and that was one of them. I find that a lot of the people who put on these type of events are the kind of person that invests themselves deeply in their local community. And that kind of work is consuming. And so they often don't have the bandwidth or the resources to take a step back and talk to peers who are doing the same thing in other cities around the country. So I think I've been in kind of a unique or rare position having that high level view going from city to city. And I see people, I, I ask them questions about what are their challenge in this, in this city? What is the ecosystem here like? How is the capital working and the talent and the, the education or whether it's formal or informal, um, what are the dynamics of diversity and, and density in various areas? And we talk about how each ecosystem works. And so I, then I start to notice people in Kansas City struggling with something similar to people in Fargo, North Dakota. But it's not the kind of issue you might call out on the surface. And one of them has solved it in some creative way. Or up in Anchorage, Alaska, they came up with this and it's working. And people in Jackson, Mississippi can do that. They'd never have talked to each other. So I start to feel like a honeybee cross-pollinating these ideas and patterns, right? And there's everybody has a lot of similarities. Everybody has a lot of differences. And I'm able to see where we complement and contrast each other and make some connections. What do you think have been some of the standout uh, difficulties that the communities are facing? Well, you've got a lot of communities that are heavily academic Maybe they have a great university system, but they continually struggle with talent retention. I could, you know, drop 10 or 20 of the communities that I visit regularly into that bucket. And they're all exploring ways to keep students in town working, you know, in businesses. So part of that may be bridging um, various university programs and colleges directly to the business world, the local business world, whether it be small businesses or corporations or startups. And there are dozens of ways that they attempt to do that. Many of them fail. Some of them succeed wildly. Um, is that a good example? Yeah. It's interesting because it's exactly the opposite of what we have here in Rockford. We don't have a huge public um, college that draws students. And so instead, our, most of our, many of our sharpest students go off to school and don't come back. That's, so talent uh, retention here has been, always been an issue. Have you faced that? Have you seen that in other communities? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think there are some communities that, so you, you, you have to use a different mechanism to get people to come back after college. Maybe you incentivize them by saying, we're going to pay for your college, but you commit to coming back for at least two years after you graduate and starting a business here. Or you maybe you run a competition that requires people to start their business here, be incorporated here in a certain tax district or something in order to receive some kind of subsidy or funding. Well, I think one of the examples that, that comes to my mind is I, I 
just traveled to Phoenix to drop my uh, one of my sons off at Grand Canyon University. And Phoenix is a fantastic area. We road trip down there. Different. We'll tell that story at a different time. Good, 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 uh, good week though. But one of the, the one of the things that Grand Canyon University is doing to kind of bridge that gap is that their one of their stated goals is to launch for profit businesses out of the university. So they now have an advertising company that they launched. They have a restaurant that they launched, and these these ideas are birthed from the students for the students. And then the students become employed there and, and faculty assist as well. So maybe a model such as that, where, where a not-for-profit university is, is their ultimate goal is to launch for-profit organizations in their own community. I've also noticed a lot of cities starting to compete for the attention of a new generation, mm. whatever you want to call them. Maybe let's just call out the millennials. There are certain things that they are thought to be attracted to. For example, maybe free food at the business for lunch every day. Sure. Right? So uh, cities will compete at the city level Mm -hmm. to develop a culture that will attract those people back to the city. And and I've even seen cooperation between uh, local investment, various types of capital, and the city to try to make it financially attractive, such that investors investing in a startup would actually say, we want you to stay in Rockford to take advantage of this. And that's a really strong incentive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we, we were also talking before the podcast started. Um, I've loved looking into what the success stories out of Startup Weekend are. Uh, Zapier, Zarly. You know, when I was recruiting kids here, I would I would say, any gamers in the room? They'd raise their hands. Have you heard of Loot Crate? And they'd be like, yeah. I said, that's a Startup Weekend company. So you've been involved in nearly 50 of these what are the hits or you know that you've been involved with and what are some of the ones you thought were going to be hits but that end up being misses so i get this question a lot and the truth is in in the last few years having done 50 of these and keeping an eye on it i've noticed that it takes a couple years for some of these businesses to to ramp up it's very rare that something is a big hit within the first year so what i'm starting to see now is events that i led three or four years ago People are still sticking around, and it's taken them a couple of years. They've changed most of the team out by now. They've gotten a, a round of funding, and they're now scaling up. I hear stories constantly uh, from events that are four or five years old, where a company is just now selling for three hundred million dollars. You know, but I expect give it a couple more years, and the companies that are sticking around from events that I participated in will come to fruition. Most of the ones that I'm in contact with are now in an accelerator. They've gotten their first friends and family investment of thirty thousand dollars. They're still building a you know at the, in in the in the infrastructure. It's amazing how we do so much in just one weekend at Startup Weekend, and then it takes two years to really establish it. But the significance of that is that that in that first weekend, we're validating that they have a good idea and making that next two years worth of investment worthwhile. So outside of Start Startup Weekend, you do. You, you live out these practices of of uh, coaching and facilitating and perhaps launching things. Tell yeah, us, what's your full-time job? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose what do you really my get? main source of income is as a business consultant, okay. which is not a sexy thing to say, but it, right. it usually... That's why, that's why we announced you were an itinerant facilitator, coach, <laughs> right. and business consultant. Sure. So, you know, most people come to a consultant because they're stuck on something. Sure. And that's often they need help with sales and marketing to increase... 
you know, to move more product or services, or uh, they need to reduce costs, or, you know, both of those things are increasing the overall margin. And so as I investigate what their needs are and try to help them, I often find that something has been built wrong. Some assumptions weren't tested early on in this process, which leads me back to being, you know, even more vigorously supportive of things like Startup Weekend. Because if we can help them early on, build the right thing for the right people, it's not going to be hard to sell it. And, and I see that so much that struggle with the sales and marketing It's because you didn't build exactly what people need and you don't know how to talk about it. We, we learn those things at the beginning. And I'm passionate about that, not just for the entrepreneur whose time and resources we're saving, but because as a community, when we come together to support that person, we're spending a lot of resources. Dozens of people are invested in this person's success. So the ripple effects throughout the community is, I mean, I don't know how to calculate that, but it's huge. And so I think that as Startup Weekend, we're basically taking all of the resources of the community and making sure they're focused on the right ideas. So that's one of the core principles of Startup Weekend. Did you validate your idea? Because you're a business consultant, we do consulting as well. And I think one of the overlaps, uh, we, we probably say it differently, but I, I talk about it that you have to get you have to get your idea out to people who don't love you uh, because there are, there are two types of people who, who uh, will do business with you. Those who love you and those who are not yet sure they should love you. And the people who love you, unfortunately are lying to you and overlooking all sorts of things. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, the, the popular television show where people go on and sing and they're not singers and somebody should have told them early on in the process, mm-hmm. but they didn't, mm-hmm. they withheld some critical information. Uh, and instead, getting out, getting your your idea validated against people who have no need to love you, and so they will shoot down your idea quickly, and tell you you're you know we won't buy this or we won't buy it for that price. So you're saying I think that that process in Startup Weekend of validation is something that many businesses overlook and create something that nobody wants or no one wants for that that price, and they've got their value proposition all wrong, and now they've they've created all sorts of errors that you need to recover from. Yeah, I think it's an issue of perspective. And mm-hmm. I think what we're dealing with is is whether or not an entrepreneur is stuck in their own idea of, of their own concept of the challenge, the problem, and the solution, or if they've developed a real deep empathy for their customer situation. And when we talk about um, a customer loving you or not loving you or not knowing whether they need to love you yet, we're still in that uh, focused on our idea and our business as the hero of a story. If we can change that perspective to where the customer is the hero of their own story, what we're asking them to do is love themselves. And if we can design a product that fits into their story seamlessly, they love themselves by using our product. And we we understand where we fit into their world. That's great. We've got a good friend here in town. Uh, we've done some consulting with them. They do, they do work with us. And, and at one point in time I was talking to her and I said, I noticed you never wear your, the clothes that you sell. And she says, well, I don't like them. And I thought, well, that's very profound. She can't even understand why people do like some of the stuff that they make, but they do. And so they keep, keep making them. But the, but as the owner of businesses, and I think probably you see this, a lot of small businesses look at their product and they're like, this is my baby. This is, I got to love it. And if I don't love it, well, I'm not going to do it. And instead looking at, well, there's a customer who loves this thing. I don't care for it, but man, they keep buying it. So I'm just going to go ahead and keep providing that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a paradigm shift, I think, to what you're talking about. Provide something that your marketplace wants and loves, even if you're not the target. I have a question. You know, so we're going to have to... You know, we've got a good group of kids this year, 
and and which and is unique. Adults. We've got yeah. this this year. We're more we're, focused on some students. Yeah, we, we we got kids from Jefferson High School, kids from Rock Valley College, kids from Hanadiga High School. So half the crowd is is students, which is good. It it brings different uh, energy to the room. But we also got some good professionals. My question is, Monday after the ideas are pitched and they've gotten their pri- you know, their awards, they've won. What can the community? What should the community do, and what should Thinker do, to help them not wither on the vine and die? Well, okay. So one thing that I'll uh, say is it's normal for a lot of it to wither and die. And if I can draw on a, a biblical parable, a parable of Jesus, when we sow seeds to you know four different types of ground. It's, we expect that only the ones that fall in the best soil and get the right amount of water and sun are going to grow up. We're just going to be anxious and pull our hair out if we're trying to raise all the seeds that fall everywhere, right? The adults that come to Startup Weekend are going to go back to a full life with kids and jobs, and they're busy. And they don't actually have room in their life for a new 40-hour-a-week 40 you know, endeavor. The students are going to go back to school. They might meet a couple times in the evenings or on the weekend, but they still have homework. They still have, you know, all their extracurricular activities. To fit stuff into that life is very hard. And so we should only expect that 10 or 20% of them at most are going to take up this new work and, and integrate it or trade out for things that they had going in their life. So let's let's expand that discussion. So we, we, we talked about Startup Week, and I think that's important, and I agree with you. Most people aren't going to do anything. Everybody's got an idea, but fewer, follow, fewer those who follow through. That could be a parable. Uh, if we expand that to a community, lots of the discussions in communities are how do we make it easier for people to start businesses? And one of our contentions is it's very easy to start a business but some of this is do you have the do you have the energy and the passion the desire to really fall in love with the process of this is going to be difficult and you're going to have to make some trade-offs and you're going to have to push through the valley of the shadow of death uh, well, the way out is to just keep walking and most people just won't because it's difficult do you mm-hmm. what do you what do you see in terms of communities and uh, the ease of, of starting a business or how, uh, or support, where do you see that kind of discussion falling through from uh, or falling with startup weekend and follow through and communities that want people to follow through? How, how does that all come together in your mind? <laughs> it's such a big question. It was, it was really broad. We threw a bunch of pieces up in the air. I'm curious how you're, how, how, how all these pieces are coming together. It's important to me that we create a conversation that gets people to a decision or a conclusion. It's painful to watch would-be entrepreneurs talk about their ideas for years. And this happens, every group has a few of these people that come to One Million Cups every Wednesday morning. They come to all of our events and they've had the same ideas, but they don't act on them. I want them to get to the point in a day or a weekend where they realize that's a bad idea or it's a great idea. I'm not going to do it because A, B, and C, or it's a great idea and I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice and do what it takes to do to make this idea happen because it's very clear to me what it requires. I, w- I want to present that context, that challenge, and create action. So as the honeybee who's going from from uh, location to location, seeing a lot of similarities and a lot of differences between all these locations, do you think that there is a 
that we are at a deficit in terms of resources available to people to start businesses or run better businesses. Absolutely. In what way? It's difficult to give people the kind of exposure to the concepts that we are here at Startup Weekend, this kind of thing, because there's no funding for it. It's very difficult. And the the first time would-be entrepreneur isn't going to pay an expensive consultant or a coach uh, what it would cost for that one-on-one attention. So they have to come to events like this that are cheap or free. And there's no forcing function. They're not invested in making that decision quickly. Uh, and so I think there is... It's it's very natural, but it's it's uh it's a challenge that there there is not enough of this. Hopefully, and, I, and everybody, every city is working on this. The successful businesses will pour back into the ecosystem. The city will see small businesses and startups as a boon that they need to fund, and they'll pour more money into programming and education. Universities and colleges are starting to shift programming from traditional business education, which generally leads people to work for a larger corporation or work for someone else, toward entrepreneurship and startups. And so that's available through the school system, which can create a a high quality, high expectation situation for a relatively low cost. So there are dynamics working on it, but it's still in almost every city. There's a challenge at this early stage to provide great education to people in an accessible way. What do you think about the, the, maybe the two concepts of, of mindset and process and tools, let's say those three things, mindset, process, and tools. Startup weekend tends to give you a certain mindset. It changes the kind of the paradigm of how you might think about your business. Like Mm -hmm. you've got an idea that's cool, but it might change in these next 54 hours based on feedback you get from your potential customers. That's kind of that sometimes opens people's minds. And then we've got this process such as like business model canvas. This is the process you're going to go through, which is also a tool, a tool set that you can that you can utilize in in what way do you think is a uh, are we at a deficit? Are we at a deficit for mindset, processes, or tools? There are enough cheap or free tools. Even the tools that you know cost $20, $40 for a book, you can just look at their websites online and you can just use the business model canvas. Mm-hmm. We have plenty of tools, but we're not using them. And those tools even imply a mindset and a process. Mm -hmm. And if you choose the right tools, they'll lead you through it. The the mindset shift is the hard part. And the intensity and length of that work is such that it's, it's difficult for us to do that work with people as volunteer community leaders. I think that's where the challenge lies. Do you think that that is because not enough entrepreneurs who have been through the process of growing organizations are giving back and being coming part of that discussion? Yes. That maybe maybe the discussions are too legislated. That they're uh, just by way of example in this area, we've got we've got people who are talking about innovations and ecosystems and an entrepreneurial ecosystem, and and we don't even know what that means by and large, and there. Let's say out of a group of 20 people, there are two entrepreneurs in the room. I can imagine a Venn diagram where on one side we have um, people who are good at teaching business, good at teaching entrepreneurship 
the principles, you know, all, all of that, the, the mindset, the tools, the process. And then there are a whole bunch of people that are really good at entrepreneurship. If you're really good at that, you're busy, you're having fun, you're creating value. It's difficult to stop and give back. You, you might be, you, you might be hard to work with you, too, yeah, and, and a bad true. teacher. That's, and you might be a poor teacher. There's this little <laughs> sliver of people who, I suppose this diagram has like three big circles. And, and one is someone that, that maintains a balance between these different areas of their life such that they, they have time to give back. There are an enormous amount of successful entrepreneurs that would love to give back, but they've spun up so much stuff and they have a hard time delegating and they just, they, they don't have time. It's very difficult. Even inside accelerator programs, you'll frequently see 10 cohorts. They're all working, you know, madly together for a three month period. And how much crossover there is there really naturally happening between them and sharing. They're all working at a breakneck pace unless the facilitators, you know, between those groups say, okay, let's come together and let's have a check-in. Let's all talk about what we're learning. It might not happen. I think that's the natural state of things. And so again, here we come in as the community leaders facilitating conversation with things like Startup Weekend. Uh, what do we call, do you guys have fuck up nights? No. no. Let's call it. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to figure out what we're talking about there. <laughs> with things like Startup Weekend, uh, events where we get together and talk about failure and how postmortems and do public. Uh, I like that. That would be something that we've never done here in Rockford, and that would draw. We're always trying to think of, of you know, in, in, in any city, you know, it's a crowded event calendar. And, you know, there's plenty of golf play days and this and that and whatever and, and business after hours. Uh, so you're always trying to think of something that would be new, unique, and different. That is interesting. So that's why this podcast is the What Works podcast. Mm -hmm. Well, we wanted to stay away from our top 10 list, because once you've made a top 10 list, if that's really the top 10, I think people should stop making another list. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and really, it is that everybody has their own experience. And my top 10 list is probably different than your top 10 list. There are some similarities, perhaps in mindset, but we utilize different tools. Different things worked for me than worked for you. I had different resources available. And then there's the opposite side of this, what works, which is what didn't work. Mm -hmm. And... And I think it's true, perhaps you do too, that we do learn more from our failures than from our successes. Uh, so I like that. I like that process of getting people together to talk just about just about failure. Now there are some businesses that make this very, uh, very open. I think uh, Pixar. Pixar is one of them. And mm -hmm. I think in the book, Creativity Inc., they talk about this idea of this is a terrible, you know, it, it, every movie is terrible when it first starts. Let's just call it terrible, right? And it's this long process, this long, arduous process, really beating this thing up, mm -hmm. knowing that it's terrible. It's a bad concept right out of the gate. And it becomes something that's totally different, perhaps, by the end of it, where now people love the Pixar movie mm -hmm. when, by the time it finally makes it out. And they made that process safe. They made that process safe to, be, to, to fail. Right. Even one of the, one of the, you know, we, we have a competition that Northern Illinois University does called Fast Pitch, and they're in their 12th year. And they actually give away $5,000 to the winner. So it draws, I mean, anybody who's got a startup, they see, you know, a dollar sign in the competition. They, they draw from an eight or nine county area. And we've got a list of all the businesses that were in that over the over the 12 years. And it would be it would be interesting to to call upon some of the better concepts that never went anywhere to call them in and just say, okay, what happened? Mm -hmm. yeah. Where did it fail? 
uh, one of the things that I've observed in a handful of cities is a shift from uh, pitch competitions toward funded hypothesis testing. And what we're doing is incentivizing, again, with some kind of money, maybe even a small amount, but putting money behind it to say, this is important enough that we will pay you just to test your idea. And if you go through this process and demonstrate you've done one through five, we're going to pay you. Whether you failed or succeeded, we're going to pay you to do that test. And then we'll pick you know, this number of things. We'll go on to another round and then do the next step of a hypothesis testing method. And, and the investors, the banks, ought to be very interested in this because basically creating a funnel for the best ideas yeah. to come to the top. Bradley University uh, did something something like that without the money behind it. So as part of their uh, kind of SBDC startup ecosystem and Bradley all smushed together, uh, they they get people to come come to them all the time. And say I got this I got this concept, and they they stated that the first kind of gatekeeper is go off and ask 100 people about this concept test your hypothesis yes. and after you've done that bring back the data yes and don't come back until you've done it and a fraction of people actually do because they don't want their their hypothesis tested because they're so in love with it mm -hmm. uh but if they if there was an incentive maybe that would uh maybe that would draw people to to that process i think this may be important to mm -hmm. help facilitate this uh growth in the culture especially mm -hmm. throughout the midwest region alex you asked about patterns mm -hmm. in a lot of midwestern cities failure is not talked about mm -hmm. much much less so than on the coasts and i don't know why that is but um we we're champion a, we're a proud people are we <laughs> we, we champion <laughs> things early before they've been tested we champion them and then if they fail uh, do we pretend they never happened? We don't talk about it, but we do talk about it, just not open. Or we know we right. know what happened. Yeah, we talk about it and, behind the behind closed doors. Right, and mm -hmm. so one big public failure, and and someone doesn't try again, and you're afraid to have that big mm -hmm. public failure. Mm -hmm. We need to make that natural, normal, acceptable. Mm -hmm. And we've built that into Startup Weekend. A full one third of the judging criteria is: Did you go out and do this customer discovery? And if you didn't. You can't get a passing grade on the test. Right. And it's very normal as part of this process, the customer discovery process, to come up with a completely different idea. Mm -hmm. We could do this all day, couldn't we? We could. So here's <laughs> something. Uh, here's uh, anything, more, anything more you want to say about Startup Weekends and business coaching, facilitation, being an itinerant minister? The most frequent question I get, and thank you for not asking me this, is what's your favorite city? What's the favorite place you've been to? And I really don't have one. What I've learned after going to 50 cities is that there are good people everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Or it's easy, maybe in America, with maybe it's the media or the news or whatever it is. It's easy to become jaded and think that those people out there or otherwhere, you know, they're just, they're, they're dumb or they're mean or there are good, brilliant people genuinely working hard to solve problems and create value in the world everywhere. That's, that's a, the story I like to tell. That's great. I love that. So I've, I've been observing you in, in a, in a non creepy way. Uh, and I I've like noticed. to, I've, and, and, uh, I have sort of concentric circles of friends just to, just to be true. There's the, the outside circle, which are really just acquaintances. Uh, lots and lots of acquaintances. And then there's a little bit smaller circle, which are like friends. 
right? And then there's the smaller circle, which are like close friends. And then there's the really tiny circle, which are very close friends, mm-hmm. right? Maybe everybody does this. I've got it. I've got it. My, my best friend, though, he, he just has this outside circle of really close friends. And that's it. Everybody's a really close friend. So I don't think everybody's just like me. But I've been observing you. You're kind of coming, coming into my concentric circles. Something I've noticed about you, and I think we're the same in this regard. We, we're very cognizant about what we say and how we say it. Uh, and we're quick on our feet. This reminds me of a fun time I had 20 years ago with a guy I used to sell with. And we got bored in sales business development As you do. In, in front of a potential client. Mm-hmm. And so we would just tee up something to the other person and say, and Michael is going to share with you about that concept, having no <laughs> idea what the concept was until I just said it. And then you just have to come up with something on your feet. So what I'd like to, I'd like to play this game. I'd like, I'd like to, we'll, we'll take turns teeing up concepts and we'll just talk about it. Okay. Fair enough. All right. You want to go first? Oh, sure. <laughs> okay. So you, you want to tee up a concept to me? Jason is that, yeah. I'm, so I'm teeing up. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You tee up to me. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. And I'll tee some back up to you. All right. Jason, you've done a lot of research uh, in ideologies, and, and uh, most recently we were talking about um, the, the effects of um, an ideologies of scarcity and abundance and how, yes. how that has affected um, millennials in the job market today. Yeah. So scarcity and abundance, it's funny that you bring that up. I did read an article about that probably last year, but it come it, in recalling this to my mind that people do have this idea of scarcity, which they want to hold on to things, right? And they want to keep it to themselves instead of letting this, letting this gold out to everybody else and saying, look at this amazing thing I found. Everybody come here versus abundance, which uh, implies that, that this, this resource is abundantly available. I can take part in this and I'd like to invite everybody else to this party. Now you bring up this idea of millennials and the job market. Now, Alex, Alex, we were talking about millennials and the new economy that maybe, what was it, 40% of people are going to be contractors within, what was it? By 2020. By 2020. That Maybe that's aggressive. I don't know, right? But the research indicates so. So this idea of abundance, there's many, many contractor jobs available versus scarcity, which would mean there's one, there's one job available at that one, at that one company. I, I think, I think that's where the connection is between the millennials. They have this idea that I could go out and do this thing. I could become a contractor and there are a lot of contract vol- uh, jobs available perhaps. So Michael, uh, along the, I, I thought, I thought you were <laughs> going to turn to me. I thought you were going to, I was going to start playing. It's like, no, no, <laughs> I saw you the fear in your eyes. I, you, two back. Can, you two can play. <laughs> so Michael, we were, we were, uh, we were discussing undersea, uh, volcanic vents just a little bit ago. Yes, we were. Yeah. And they're so hot, but the, but yet there's bacteria that live down there, mm-hmm. uh, and how unique those bacteria are and delicious, amazingly delicious. I found uh, do you, this is hilarious <laughs> that you teed this up, but, um, did you know, did you, did you spy on my social media and, and no. recognize that I just spent two weeks in Yellowstone? Did you really? Where there are hundreds, yeah. several hundred. Yes. Um, and I did learn quite a bit yeah. about the bacteria and all, uh-huh. all of these various pools. Yeah. Um, I was there in 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find it underwhelming? Perhaps a little bit. I'd like to go on the record as saying Yellow, Yellowstone <laughs> Yosemite is is much much better. Really, and I've if never you been to Yosemite. Ever have to choose between the two parks? 
There was a lot of driving in Yellowstone, which sort of detracted. Sure. Yeah. Right. And once you've seen one sulfur pool, you've seen them all. Right. So <laughs> I have nothing to say yeah. about this. <laughs> well, you mentioned that those bacteria were delicious in those undersea volcanic vents. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I mean, ironically, they smell like sulfur. It's just many of the, if you get close enough to the gas that is coming off, mm -hmm. well, um, it's this, a little overwhelming. Let me, let me tee this up for an easier <laughs> one, right? So you say that uh, Yellowstone is underwhelming. What, with all your travels, what experiences have been better than you anticipated? Alex is getting us back on track here. No, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> my daughter is a theater person, and, and so we learned all the songs of Hamilton, and I finally went to see it, and I'm like, it was even better than I would thought it would be. Wow. So your travels, what's even better than you thought it would be? Ooh. So my normal, I've already used up my normal answer to that question is Yosemite. And I, because hiking through that valley and, and around it frequently feels like just walking around a corner after corner and taking my breath away to see the, the pools and the waterfalls and the trees. It's just so incredible. Toronto is an amazing city. It has such incredible diversity and an extremely low crime rate. And over half of the population was not born there. And the first day that I visited Toronto a few years ago, uh, I was I used couchsurfing.com to find someone to stay with. It was a retired gentleman uh, from the tech industry, had a beautiful condo downtown. So couch surfing became staying in the extra room and having access to the pool and the gym. And we went on a three-hour bike ride through all the neighborhoods of Toronto. And I just fell in love with that city. It's amazing. I highly recommend Toronto to everyone. I have not been to Toronto in 20, a little over 20 years. It's been a long time. I think I went to a piano bar or something like that at the time. So speaking of travels, I, because you're coming, coming closer to my inner circles, I want to share with you uh, part of my travels when I was taking my son down to Phoenix. We would stop by the Grand Canyon. Uh, only <laughs> it was uh, about 830 at night and stormy. Uh, but I got some really great photos, and I want to share those with you. Okay. So this is the Grand Canyon. Are, am I to like describe this on the podcast? <laughs> so what we're looking at is a post-apocalyptic version. This is of also the Grand Canyon. The canyon <laughs> in fog and well, you smoke. Can't see anything? Also the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Thank goodness for railings. You could just walk right Grand into canyon. it. <laughs> that was your day at the Grand Canyon. It's the Grand Canyon. It's a little blurry. <laughs> Also the Grand Canyon. Oh, that's fantastic. This one, you beautiful? can almost see a, the the far edge through the clouds. What time of day is this? It's, right, it's about 8. Is it nighttime? It is. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So beautiful? all of your photos were pre-sunset or post, or pre-sunrise or post-sunset. This, this is just uh, 8, 8, 8.30 at night-ish. Yeah. Do you travel nocturnally? Uh, it was a long trip. That's <laughs> some great video. <laughs> Is this a pocket, accidental pocket video? <laughs> it's a little later. <laughs> Is it a time lapse of your pocket? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was underwhelming. 
to be sure. <laughs> yeah. See, now you've, now you've almost experienced my trip. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure having you here in Rockford, getting to know you, also cooking for you. Uh, that's been a real pleasure. And sharing insights uh, and your experiences from all these different communities that you've been to and all the experiences that you, that you have. It's, it's been fantastic having you on the Works podcast. Thank you, Jason and Alex. And, and let me say, uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying Rockford and picking up so many great gems from you guys. What you're doing here at Thinker and the community here um, is really enriching me. And I anticipate taking stories and tips and tricks, uh, you know, from mindset process and tools from here to many other cities. So thank you for having me. The What Works podcast is a production of Thinker Ventures. Learn more at thinkerventures.com. 